Hello, free thinkers. I'm Mickey Z, and I welcome you to Post Woke, the New York City-based podcast where we practice intellectual self-defense. If, if you allow your mind to be affected by others, you are giving away one of your most valuable assets, and that's your power. Power over your thinking, power over your mind, power over your emotions. Why would you give that up? That was the voice of Michelle Tafoya a record-setting four-time Sports Emmy Award winner and now the host of the excellent Sideline Sanity podcast on which I've been honored to be a recent guest. I will turn the tables and interview Michelle right after this word from our sponsor. Hey, Mickey Z here, and I'm asking you to offer some support for a project that I've been running for nearly six years. It's called Helping Homeless Women NYC. And as the name implies, I've been getting out there on the streets for, like I said, nearly six years to offer direct relief to some of the most vulnerable yet fiercest women you'll ever want to meet. If you check the show notes, you will find a direct link for how to donate at GoFundMe. If you're interested in becoming a Patreon patron or in ordering uh, restaurant gift cards directly from my wish list, shoot me an email and I'll send you that information. But I'm just requesting some support, thanking you in advance and asking you, no matter what, to please share the link far and wide. Now, let's get back to the show. Prior to her retirement from NBC... Michelle Tafoya stated, quote, some may consider me crazy to walk away from one of the more coveted roles in sports television, and I do not doubt that I will miss many aspects of the job. But for some time, I have been considering other areas I would like to explore both, both personally and professionally. I couldn't ignore that little voice anymore after what we have all endured after the last few years, close quote. Michelle, Thank you for honoring your inner voice. Happy New Year. <laughs> Happy and welcome New Year. to Post Woke. Thank you, Mickey. Great to be with you. Yeah, it's sort of like a home and home series we just did. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. That's exactly what it is. Now yeah. I'm on the road. There we go. So I, I have the home field advantage, but as as they would say in the soccer world, these are friendlies without a yes, doubt. So absolutely. Um and I'm and dare I say this is one Mickey to another, because when I was looking <laughs> stuff up from you, I saw there was a point that you went by Mickey for a while. Oh yes, that's a. I love the nickname, but I didn't yeah. like it for me, and it was not really my choice. And I, it's yeah, that that one's sort of a sore subject for me, but okay. it's fine. Right. Okay, I, but nothing's off limits, Mickey. Nothing. <laughs> okay. I appreciate that. And I, and I wouldn't expect anything less. So, um, all right. So let me kind of talk us into here and then give you space to, to tell your story. But because quite often with what I do, I'm asked by sincere and serious readers and listeners, what can we do? How can we challenge this ruthless machine? And I feel like now that I've met you, you're one of the people I can point to because you reached the pinnacle 
of your field and could have reaped the rewards for as long as you wanted, but you were willing to virtually start from scratch because you heard that inner voice and you heeded its call. Mm -hmm. No one needed to tell you that there was considerable risk involved, but you chose personal integrity over the expected and the familiar path. So my questions are, how did all this feel to you as you took those first steps to make such a powerful life change? And how long had you been thinking about leaving sports coverage before making the move? Well, here's the story. You know, I think it was 2018 after that season, um, heading into 2019, I told my producer, Fred Gadelli, that 2019 was going to be my final season on Sunday Night Football. And he was not planning on hearing that. He didn't know I was planning on saying that. And so he was a little bit stunned and he said, well, what is it you're going to go do? And I told him, I just, I needed to voice my thoughts and my opinions and, and on other things, cultural, political, social. And um, I'll make a long story short. He lured me back for 2019 and then said, please just get us through the Super Bowl. I would love it if you'd just take us through our next Super Bowl, which was slated to be after the 2020 season. Yes. But for a variety of reasons, Mickey, it got pushed to the 2021 season. So, you know, there were all the, there was back and forth. There was, we'll give you some games off. There was all kinds of talk about how we could make this workable. Ultimately, I worked just about every game through this last season and through the Super Bowl and... Um, but I, I couldn't do another another season because this is what I wanted. I wanted to be free, and I don't want that to sound as though NBC was was hand tying me or limiting what I could say. They simply asked, "Could you postpone a podcast about this kind of stuff until later?" We'd appreciate it. They didn't make me. They mm-hmm. asked, and I honored it because when I signed up to do Sunday Night Football, that is a show that entertains. We hope it is a show about sports and it is NBC's prized jewel, crown jewel, if you will, in their television programming. It's the highest rated show in primetime, 11 straight years. So I knew that if I did something that would distract from that, um, it wouldn't be good for for NBC or or Sunday Night Football specifically. So I honored that. But ultimately, um, I was very ready, Mickey, to answer your question about how I was feeling it didn't make it easy. And none of this has been easy since I've sacrificed a a lot of things that I was prepared. I I hate that word sacrifice in this case, because I chose it, but I let's say the trade-offs were big, right? The trade-offs were big. And, um, but this is way too important to me and I just couldn't stay quiet anymore. That's, that's really awesome that, that you, like you respected what Sunday night football was like, yeah. it's not a platform to, for example, interview me like you did. Like it just, that that doesn't go together. And right. I'm going to safely assume um, also you just love being involved with sports and you're a sports fan. So, so it's not like you just accidentally wound up being a, a sports personality. Right? Oh you- no, not, not at all. That was, that was my intent was to cover the NFL from the time I started my journey into sports casting. I wanted to cover the NFL and I, I feel, you know, sitting here right now with it all behind me, I feel incredibly lucky that I got to do the jobs that I got to do. And that was my goal. And I reached it and I spent 11 years at at Sunday Night Football, you know, many years before that at ESPN, CBS before that. So I'd 
done a lot, Olympics and um, just a lot of college football, college basketball, a lot of stuff, WNBA. And I, I mean, I wouldn't trade that, you know, I, I just wouldn't trade. It was what I wanted. But when you grow and evolve as a human, as I, ho I hope we all continue to do, you find that other things matter in different ways to you. And I think getting married and having children made me much more aware of the bigger picture, that there's more out there than what I want. Um, there's a there's a world and, a, and in this case, a country that I'd like to help um, it, just stay sane. And and I see it going the other way, and I, I just I I'm, I wasn't going to sit back and just roll with it. Well, you just nailed what I said in the intro, where I, like I feel like now that I know you, I can point to you as someone who has taken such a giant step here and displayed this ability to evolve. And now I'm not going to say that. Um, I'm, I'm, again, you correct me if I'm wrong. You you've thought about the world politically, socially, all throughout your life. But in terms yes. of you saying, this is, this is my day job now. This yeah. is what I do. I mean, that, that is a daring move. And it's, I find it inspirational, even if we take ourselves out of any type of political venue, where lots of people, when they get to a certain point in life, may feel like that ship has sailed. You know, oh, yeah, I thought about doing that when I was younger. And the, I, I hope that people who listen to this will be inspired in, in a dual way that, that, yes, you can speak your mind, you can find ways to do this, and you can follow your heart in terms of making the world a better place. But whatever your calling is, um, you know, there's obviously there are cir some circumstances where you can't necessarily make a giant leap. Right. But but, th but there are probably far more opportunities for people to recognize that they're not trapped than they realize. And I think that that you're serving this like dual role model where people could look at it and say, wow, look what she just reinvented herself. This Why can't I do that? And whatever that means to them, I, I find that to be just really, really inspirational. Wow, that's I you know, you're the first person to say that to me. And so I appreciate that. I I don't ever I've not, you know, I've people have called me a trailblazer. I'm not. I there were a lot of women doing the sports gig before I did. Leslie Visser really to me is a great pioneer. There there are many and I I I I hesitate just to single her out. Um Gail Gardner was one. And Phyllis George. Yes. So there were people ahead of me that, to me, I was able to follow. So I don't like being called, a, you know, a trailblazer or a role model. Now, if people appreciate the way I did my work, great. I, I, I'm grateful for that. And if people see this as an inspiration, hooray, because I'd love to inspire more people to to follow that calling. This certainly was. I would wake up every morning, Nikki, with this feeling in my chest. It's all I can I, I can. It must have been my heart or something, yeah. whatever's yeah. in your chest, my lungs, I don't know. <laughs> but every morning I'd wake up and say, I've got to do something. I've got to do something. What do I do? And I don't think, you know, one person necessarily can change the world, but I do believe one person can have an impact. So even if it's on one or three people, <laughs> I'll consider that a win. Yeah, and I'm going to say that you're you're very, you're being very humble, and and un, but you're underestimating yourself. I mean, you you have an audience; it's growing, and as you said earlier, there were big trade offs. But that, to, to my eye, those trade offs 
can't be judged yet where like sideline sanity has a long way to go. Like, yeah, like it's, it's, you can't compare sideline sanity with NBC Sunday night football. Cause one had a huge head start and it's, you know, it's apples and oranges anyway, yes. but you're yeah. going to be what you're doing. Like let's, let's reconvene in five years. And then suddenly, yeah. <laughs> suddenly the trade-offs might look like it was, it was a, just to use like a, a sports analogy, it was trading one superstar for another superstar. It was one for one, both both teams won. Like I, I think the trade-off is going to be um, much much greater and more easily understandable by an outsider in a couple of years. But I think I think it's incredible what you chose to do, especially when they kind of dragged it out. Like I'm wondering, yeah. like like when when things were where they said stick around one more year and oh it's COVID, yeah. stick around past COVID. Well, you must have been like chomping at the bit, especially what was going on in the world. There was one dinner that we had as a crew with, and we were happened to be dining at the house of a gentleman who plans the NFL schedule. Okay. He's with the NFL and he plans the schedule. And we were there one evening and this was in 2019. And I was told 2020 last season, we have the Super Bowl at the end of that. Off you go. You can't, you know, that's, that's what we'd like. So then we're sitting at this table having dinner and it comes up that, yeah, that our NBC Super Bowl has been moved from the 2020 season to the 2021 season. And this was the first I'd heard of it. And everyone was talking about like it was common knowledge. They all knew. And I turned to my producer, Fred, and I I was like, wait, wait, what? And he said, I'll fill you in later. (laughs) I was going (laughs) to tell you. I was like, no way, no way, no way. Are you kidding me? So, you know, he made, he was great. He said, Hey, how about if you just work half the season or, you know, he said that about the COVID season. What if you just work half the season, then COVID hit. And I thought this is going to be insane. We don't know how many games are going to get played. Let's make life easy for him. Hey, I'm in for the whole season. And I did that. And then the following year he goes, you want to just work half the season or do you want a handful of games off? And I said, Oh, it's the final year. I'll work the whole season. I'll take a handful of games off. So that's kind of how it went. But I did know I could see the light at the end of the tunnel. And believe me, I was having a blast with my crew and doing the job that I loved. So it's not this isn't a poor me thing. It was just I was chomping at the bit. You said it really well to 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 spend more time with my family, to go into this new venture, to be part of a conversation that was really important to me. So yeah, I was <laughs> jumping at the bed. Oh, that's awesome. I, I, it's, it's just so great though, to hear you talk so fondly about the people you work with, because yeah. anyone that's listening to this, that is a, a sports fan does have that kind of wondering, like, what's it like on the inside, whether it's um, the, the TV crew or even the teams, do they like each other? Do they, wh- how much of it is a show and how much of it is genuine camaraderie? And I know it's a case by case situation, but sure. um, it's, it's nice to hear that, that you had that situation where they respected what you would do and you respected their request. And it seems like it all worked out for the better. And now you're, now you, I'm assuming you're able to spend more time with your family. You're traveling yeah. probably infinitely less than you were before. And, and you do, you're following your dream, which is, the, the, which is really all that anyone can, can ask for. Yeah. Um, and so, all right. So I'm going to, before I ask you any more sports questions about the transition, because you mentioned before that, that, um, when I said that I find it inspiring what you did, and you said, oh, no one's ever said that. Since you've had the transition and you've been interviewed and you've talked to people, is there something that you 
haven't been asked about this transition that you wished maybe you were asked? Like, is there something like, like how come people don't want to know about this? Or I wish I could share this. Is there something that you could share with us now? Well, uh, the only thing I could think of, you mentioned that to me in an email and I was, I have been thinking about it, Mickey. I wasn't ignoring that, that thought. Um, you know, certainly people are like, why, what are you crazy? You know? <laughs> so, but, and, and I understand that I do. At the same time, you know, this is very, it's obviously a very personal thing for me. And it's, I think one of the things that happened in the 2021 football season was I was given some weeks off and it happened to coincide with this appearance on The View that I did. And with this appearance on The View, I said some things about Colin Kaepernick that some people agreed with and some people didn't. But that that appearance on the view was then followed by these cold weather games that I had asked to be taken off of because they said I could have five games off. And I said, Oh, or four, I can't remember, but I said, okay, green Bay in the winter, I want those off, you know? And so people made this jump and I I see it now. I get it that, Oh, she was on the view and now she's not on the game. Mm. I bet she got suspended. Well, this story spread like wildfire that I got suspended and even NBC put out a statement, but no one seemed to be that interested in the truth. And no one contacted me directly. It, I was never suspended. It was <laughs> it was an agreed upon thing. They probably would not have allowed me to go on The View if I were going to be an employee of theirs for the next five years. But because it was my final season, they felt like, all right, we'll let her go speak her mind and, and we'll be, you know, fine. But then... The, the NFL topics came up in those programs and they didn't love that. So they said, you know what, until you're done with us, no more appearances on the view, but I was in no way suspended. I was in, that was, had nothing to do with my leaving the show. In fact, it was kind of a product of the fact that we were planning this, um, this departure that they allowed me to do the view. So I just, I, I get why people made that leap, but I want it to be very clear that I had an extremely good relationship with everyone at NBC Sports. And yeah, there, this this has nothing to do with anything that I did on The View or anywhere else. Oh, that that's an excellent answer. Like, I, And I could imagine that you, you, you want to clear that up. Because oh. I actually, now that you said that, it just struck me in that general time range. I was listening to, I, I won't name, I'll just say the network. I was listening to a, a podcast on the Ringer Network. Okay. And the hosts were talking about um, football, of course. And when talking about the games, the coverage comes, uh, you know, gets mentioned a lot. Like, you know, which which announcer did this? or, And your name got mentioned really quickly as to not being there. But they were being cryptic. And, okay. and I just kind of caught on because my assumption, and I say this as a very, very, very safe assumption, is that these particular hosts would have not been on your side for what you said on the View. So, it's okay. kinda, so, the, so they probably had the suspension thought too. So it's 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 kind of sad in a way. Well, two things that nobody reached out to you and asked for a clarification, and that secondly, that we live in a culture where the immediate assumption is like, "Oh, she broke the rules, therefore she got punished." Right, and it's it's pretty illustrative um, example, and I'm really glad that you cleared that up. Um, so, so talking about sports a little bit, um, were you always? A sports fan? Do you still follow it super closely now? For any particular sports, and and when you got into the sports world, um, after wanting to do this for so long, what what 
surprised you the most about it, good or bad? I was always a sports fan because my dad was, and this is a way we spent a lot of our time together. And I played basketball. I was not good. I'm much better about talking about sports than I am about playing them. So that's the calling that I found. But my brother was a big basketball star in California. And, and, and just, yes, everything in our house kind of revolved around, in particular, the 49ers. My dad grew up in San Francisco. So we were 49ers fans living in Manhattan Beach, California, which for people who don't know is in Southern California. So surrounded by Rams fans. And it was very painful early because they were, the Niners were terrible. Yeah. But when the eighties came around, a guy named Joe Montana and Jerry <laughs> Rice and Bill Walsh showed up, boy, did the fortunes turn. And Absolutely. it was a blast. I mean, it was so fun. And even though we lived in Southern California, my dad got season tickets and we drove up for all the home games. And so, yes, always a sports fan and it really heightened during that those um great 49ers years in the 80s and 90s and so then it became i knew i wanted to do something in front of a camera and originally when i was a little girl it was i want to be an actress you know you're in southern california so surrounded by hollywood everyone wanted to be in hollywood everyone wants to be a star you know and then it i got more practical about it you know <laughs> and so it became more you know maybe i'll do some TV news or something like that. And then when my love for sports and I started seeing these women that I mentioned doing sports. So that's why I call them the trailblazers because that triggered in my mind, whoa, there are women doing this now. I can do this too. And so that's where it landed. Um, if anything surprised me, oh, I just think it was, um, I think I learned rather quickly, these guys are human, you know, and we we treat them like automatons. We treat them like heroes. And in many cases, some of them are. And we treat them like gods. And it 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 came became very clear to me, I wouldn't say immediately, but not, it didn't take long for me to settle in and go, these guys are human beings. And just like maybe we shouldn't revere them to the extent that we do, we shouldn't punish them for their mistakes the way that we do. So um, that was one of the, I think, the best lessons that I learned. And I try to, I try to mention it to people because we are so quick to put people on pedestals and so even quicker to knock them off. Yes. Oh, yes. Let me first say, I, I, those Niners teams were incredible to watch, oh. even from New York. And <laughs> I can relate, though, because living in New York, we have teams, particularly the Yankees, that will go through those stretches where they can do – I mean, they just win it all the time. Like, let's say yeah. most recently, the Jeter era Yankees. Yeah. And it's just a fun ride. Like, oh, it, feel, totally. it feels like the like living in New York, it's like everyone's wearing a Yankee cap. Everyone's talking about it. And and it it's one of the positive aspects of sports. But I'm going to sort of slide a slow into more political conversation in that when I was on your show, we ended up talking about Noam Chomsky. Yeah. And I'm going to give you two quotes about sports from Noam Chomsky and, okay. then I, and that you don't necessarily have to refute, but I want to know, basically, I want to find out how you, someone who's worked on the inside, see the role of professional sports in our modern society. He, as this political observer, said one of the functions that things like professional sports play in our society and others is to offer an area to deflect people's attention from things that matter so that the people in power can do what matters without public interference. 
And then he added, I've often been struck by the extensive knowledge that people have of sports and particularly their self-confidence in discussing it with experts. In contrast, when discussing matters of concerns to human lives, their own and others, people tend to defer to experts. So, uh, so I'm, I, the, the floor is yours. You could, you could, re, you can retort him. You could agree with him, or you could just share. What do you, how do you see the role of professional sports in modern society as we enter 2023? I think that second observation is fascinating, and I can't refute it. That yeah, every kid I know, my son and all his friends, they know stats, they know players' names, they know what where they went to college, where they played before they played for the Yankees, where they, whatever. They know so much. They absorb so much. And it because it's very numerically based, statistically based, and it's pretty easy to understand statistics, and kids grow up playing these sports so they understand it even more clearly, they do become little experts. Yes. And that expertise is what fuels every sports talk show on the planet. Right. It's, Mm -hmm. you know, and everyone can have an opinion. And also it's not life or death. It's you can have that opinion and probably no one's going to deplatform you. You know, no one's going to cancel you (laughs) over your prediction for the Super Bowl or your assertion that Pete Sampras is the greatest tennis player of all time. So I think that's a fascinating thing. And I think he's right to a certain degree about it being a distraction. But we can apply that as well to Hollywood. And Hollywood has then also played into this distraction by tilting its viewpoints in Mm -hmm. very strongly in one direction and not the other. And so I think people in power have to an extent used Hollywood and used academia to to distract people from truth, to distract people from important issues, as he pointed out. Because yeah, suddenly you know the COVID ban- pandemic comes and everyone resorts to listening to one guy, one guy, and even other medical experts got deplatformed and canceled, and we're seeing that now with all these Twitter files. So it's it is pretty amazing. And and if you want to talk politics with people, a lot of people will shy away. They don't want to get into it. They know it could result in a, a dis- disagreement or an argument or worse, and. Also, people don't educate themselves on the issues. They're not as exciting to them. They're not as intriguing to them. And they feel, I really believe the general public feels, oh, our politicians will take care of that. The people we voted to represent us will take care of that. And, And they give them an inordinate amount of power to do that. Yes, you can vote and you can vote them out. But that system, that machine is pretty strong. And it's I, I, I would highly encourage people to take five minutes out of every day. Hell, start with five minutes a week and read one thing. Read one thing. And I would recommend people go to Substack. I, I personally like the Wall Street Journal. I know it's got a tiny conservative leaning and maybe people think it's a major conservative leaning. But there are a lot of uh, publications who have proven to us we can't trust them. Yes. And, and that's really sad. So. It's amazing, Mickey. I'll go to do some research before a podcast and I go, oh, okay, let me check out the New York Times. No, because I don't, I know where they're coming from. Oh, like, let me go to the Washington Post. Well, not really sure I can trust that. Let's see, where do I go? You know, and it's, it's unfortunate. I just, I want facts. 
And so a, a lot of what I do now is I do a lot of reading on Substack. I know you're on there too. And I try to get a variety of that. I think there are a lot of good truth seekers out there. So anyway, I, I, I would love to encourage people to do that. I think those observations are really, really interesting and worth listening to. I, I feel like I, I agree with what essentially everything you said in that in that it's kind of undeniable if you've you've been in the sports world but I've just been a fan you know I grew up a guy a blue collar guy in New York City so the I can't even calculate the amount of hours that I spent <laughs> and in some cases wasted in other cases enjoyed immensely breaking down uh art like arguments like like from from Pete Rose being in the Hall of Fame, like right. ev- ev- all these angles, and we just and there is no necessarily right or wrong, and there are no life and death stakes, and you but you just enjoy it, but it does deflect people's attention, as Chomsky said. But I don't want to live in a world where our attention is always on um, the the socio political aspects because that sounds like it can be a pretty grim place too. I mean, true, like true. whether it's sports or art or music, like you want, this is what makes life enriches life and gives you joy and, and, and recharges you to then be the voice to go out there and fight back and try and point out the truth. So I feel like, like he, he, like if you, it's almost like dissecting the media. Like if you read those two quotes, you can break down you know, you do your best to break down what you agree with, what you don't agree with. But I, I feel aligned with how you answered that question. And it's it's one of the fun things of life is, is that yes. how fast you can be an expert in sport. <laughs> like, <laughs> like you said, like eight, nine-year-old kids can, yes. can can discuss it. It's just fascinating. And I, well, I, I don't regret a minute of it, really. Uh, yeah, no. And I, 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 I agree. And the other beautiful part of sports is how it unites people. And I think there is a real true beauty in that. Not only people in the locker rooms, these men who meet on the gridiron, as you would put it, or on the hardwood floor, on the pitch, whatever. They join together with a common goal of winning. And in doing so, develop relationships that might otherwise have never developed. And to see that has been a thing of beauty for me. Uh, Some of the friendships that to me would be the most unexpected friendships you'd ever imagine have developed on the football field or in the locker room. And also in the stands, when you, when teams win a Super Bowl or even just win a game, you'll see people hugging and high-fiving each other. They have no idea what your political affiliation is, what your religion is. They don't care in that moment. You just won a game and you can be happy around that and, and just that. And I think that that's a really positive element of sport as well. I feel you on that. When I was much, much, much younger, one of my closest friends' dad had seasons tickets to the New York Rangers NHL team, and they were terrible. So <laughs> it was very frequent that my friend would say to me, hey, I got the seats again tonight. And they were down in the red seats at the garden. Like you're all the way down where you could you catch a puck. So we went to multiple games one season. And by mid-season, we knew everyone in the area. We yeah. knew their names. We yep. would have conversations. We would know if something happened in between the games and ask them, what, hey, how did that go? And yeah. it, I, I'd love that memory. Yeah. And I was grateful that the Rangers sucked that year because the <laughs> tickets were available. And I just remember what it was like to just be part of this kind of 
it's kind of a, a um, imposed community, but then it grows up organically in its own way. And I felt exactly. like I was part of a community. And the uniting aspect was the New York Rangers of all. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And you see that in so many places. My husband went to the University of Minnesota. His dad used to coach for the football team there. And and so there's a, a massive tailgate that, that we are a part of. And again, it's a little community. And it's the, those Saturdays where we get together and just have a have a ball and don't talk about the serious stuff. And it's a little bit of an escape, with, which I think you're right, is healthy and everyone needs. Yes. Um, all right. So you've touched on the trailblazing aspect a couple of times. So I feel like I would be remiss if I didn't bring the topic up, but it's really up to you how much you want to go into this. How how did it feel to you? Not Not people, you know, putting labels on you, but how did it feel to you to be oftentimes the only woman in the room and this, in this still, I mean, there's so many more women involved in sports now and mm-hmm. women's sports have just exploded, yes. but, it's, but the, but the ratio still haven't caught up. So what, what, what was that like? Or was it something that at some point you just don't even really talk about? Cause it was like, you just, this was your team and you did your thing. I like talking about it in this way. If you go into any pursuit, any job, pigeonholing yourself or labeling yourself or describing yourself by an immutable characteristic and use that as sort of a hurdle, put that hurdle up in front of you for no other reason, except that, well, you're one of the few in that business, you can really harm your progress. And so I kind of decided to go into this saying, okay, yeah, I'm, a, women, a woman in a, in a sports world and there aren't that many of us. Okay, fine. That's a fact. But here's the thing. I'm just going to compete my ass off with everyone in this press conference. I'm going to try to have the best story, the earliest that I can, the, the most correct story. I'm going to be the most trusted person for these athletes and coaches and owners to talk to. They are going to know they can count on me when I when they say off the record. I'm going to be the best freaking sports journalists that I can be. I don't care, you know, look, I had a lot of things going against me, but I didn't count those. I didn't look at those. If anything, I use them as things to make me work harder. You know, the obstacle is the way, as they say in stoicism Mm -hmm. and work harder, be better, be better than everyone. So that your little, the fact that you're female And all the other things I thought about myself didn't matter in the end because you could be so good at what you do that they can't ignore you. And I would say that to anyone. I don't, again, I don't care what your persuasion is. I've heard, look, I'll never forget this one moment. And I don't know why, because it's not that significant, but it's still very vivid in my memory. Minnesota Vikings game. I'm outside the locker room waiting to go in to interview players after the game. There's another woman reporter near me, and she looked at me and said, are you really going to go in there? And I said, well, yeah, that's my job. She said, oh, I just, I just don't think I can go in there. Well, I'll say this. Within a year, I never saw her covering sports ever again, uh, and I haven't since. Yeah. You have to figure out a way. Yeah. So my rule was stare at their eyebrows. Stare at their eyebrows. Make <laughs> only contact with the eyebrows. Don't let your eyes stray. And but that was part of my job. And and you can say, oh, it's not right. Women shouldn't have to whatever you want to say. 
until the rules change, deal with the rules as they are, play by the rules, and be damn good at it. Yep. It's it's not that hard, Mickey. Yeah, you got the resume and the Emmys to prove that you that, that hard work paid off. And, no. and, and and I'd have to imagine that that work ethic and the stoicism, kudos for throwing some stoicism in there. I love that. <laughs> um, and this, the, the literal skills and tools that you learn, like almost like in a technical sense, sure. had, had really, really prepared you to make, to become, like to just go hit the ground running in terms of podcasting. And so um, I asked you this about entering the sports world, but when you entered the podcasting world, what surprised you about entering <laughs> that world? Uh, you know, it's funny, too, because I've worked extensively in radio. I am a pro at tap dancing, okay, and, and filling <laughs> time. But with a podcast that's just you, and you don't have the the producer who can press his mic open and say, yeah, I know what you're saying. You know, there's no <laughs> happy talk. There's none of that. Unless you have a guest, it can be a real challenge to look into this camera and give a monologue. And I remember thinking the first time I did that, I was so nervous. Now, I've gotten better at that. Um, I used to give short monologues, you know, and open to a Sunday night football game or a quick halftime report or whatever. Uh, that Those were just little nuggets. This is like full on, I'm going to speak my heart or speak my opinion, and I've got to do it eloquently, and I've got to do it with research to back it up, and yada, yada, yada. And I've got to look straight into the, ca the camera and do it. So it's it that part of it was was something to overcome. And so um, I think that that was really the one. The interviews have been the most pleasurable. Yours was awesome. Oh, and I hope people will go listen to it because it's so fascinating and so fun. But it, it that that part has always been easy for me. So that one was was good. But it's the monologues that that once in a while <laughs> make me nervous. You know, it's funny. I hadn't thought of this before when you when you use the phrase. Um, you got to look right into the camera. When I think of seeing you on TV, you're, you are quite often in profile because you're standing on the sidelines yeah. interviewing. And so you're <laughs> not making eye contact with the camera as much. Right. And, and, uh, when you, when, cause I'm doing obviously an audio, uh, right. podcast work, but I'm really aiming towards, you know, moving to, to video. And, um, I even found when I was on your show very recently that, it was un it felt unusual to me, and I noticed that if I tried to look at myself, then I was no longer looking at the camera, and I caught myself the first time. <laughs> and so it's like, oh, these little things that I'm gonna I'm gonna learn when I switch to video. So yeah, yeah. But you 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 that you're obviously your your competitive nature to succeed, and your your work ethic is gonna has already made Thailand Sanity a success, and it's just straight up from there. But I hope so. From your lips to God's ears, <laughs> as they say. So and. Along those lines, have you, not counting, say, a Dan Lebetard, but have other <laughs> former colleagues, <laughs> maybe I'll, should I link to that in the in the show notes? No, I actually don't want to. Don't link to it. No. Don't link to it. it. Don't give him any more views than Yeah, than concur. I'll just, I'll just quickly, for context, is he's a sports guy who had Michelle on his show and behaved heinously and cowardly in terms of ganging up on her and, and basically was, it was a masterclass in how not to run a podcast. But, uh, amen. So, so putting him aside from other colleagues, former colleagues in that field, have you gotten, um, I know some of them have been on the show. What kind of feedback are you getting from them? You know, a little bit here and there. Uh, Bob Costas was my first guest. I really appreciated that from him. 
There are others who want to wait a little bit because they're afraid, you know, that if they say anything political, it it might backfire. And I totally respect that. So I don't, you know, I, one thing that's beautiful is my, the producer, the aforementioned Fred Gadelli, who was the producer of Sunday night and is now the producer of Amazon Prime's Thursday night football listens. And initially he was giving me feedback and he said, you know, you don't have to take my criticisms on your podcast. And I said, why would I not take criticisms from a hall of fame (laughs) producer? And he said, because you no longer have to. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it was so true because really when I worked with him for all those years on Monday and Sunday night football, he was my audience. He was the person I felt when I looked down the throat of the camera and delivered that opening on camera or whatever I was delivering. I knew if I had his approval, then I had the viewer's approval because he was so in touch with great television. That's what makes him a hall of fame producer. So so it was just funny because for so many years we had a conference call every week critiquing my fer- performance and, and, you know, he'd give me input. And so now he continued to do this and said, you know, you really don't have to take this. And, uh, cause you, you don't, you're not required to anymore, but so he's been a real faithful supporter and I so appreciate that. And I know others have listened. So it's been mostly positive and frankly, without this sounding callous or arrogant, the only person I'm trying to satisfy here is, is me and my goals of delivering what I want to deliver. And I think if I do that and straight, stay true to what I want to do, the rest will fall into place. And if it doesn't, then it doesn't. Oh, it's falling into place. But I think that's a great that, – that you just delineated a great difference between a show like the number one show on television, NBC Sunday Night Football. The, like it's not they, – they'll never have the attitude like, well, it's it's okay if the viewers don't like how we present football <laughs> because it, they're a different animal. It's not better exactly. or worse. But when you're – when you – for lack of a better – title I, I if when you're a political and I'm doing air quotes political podcaster there is built into that is that some people will ha- will hate listen automatically automatically some people will turn you off after about seriously 30 40 seconds just turn off and not give it a chance and then the the people that stick around and you know you hope it's not too much preaching to the choir but it, you people that stick around are the ones that you're that are going to get what you're doing. So your attitude of like, I'm the audience now. It's not my producer on Sunday Night Football. I I want to satisfy why I walked away from that to do this. Yes. I think that that's basically a, an alternative uh, definition of integrity. I mean, it's just what you're doing. So I, I, I'm inspired by that. And oh. and I'm, I'm looking at time, <clears throat> time here. Are you, are you doing okay time-wise? Can you talk a little yes. more? Okay. Right. So I, before we get into any type of wrap-up, I do want to ask you, and you don't have to name names, but do you have any um, looking back comedic type of craziness of COVID measures while trying to put on television, televised football games during a oh my lockdown. Goodness. Anything you want to share with us? It was, it was crazy. I mean, look, I've been doing this for a long time. There was no other season like this one. I'm sure everyone agrees. Everyone had the stuff they had to go through and it was amplified covering these teams. These teams were trying to keep everyone healthy. And so they didn't want anyone who was outside of their franchise to enter the building. So we switched from, 
going to practice to maybe just viewing film of practice or, you know, instead of one-on-one meetings with the quarterback, it was all done over Zoom. We had to get tested three, two, three times a week at least. Even if there was a false positive, you couldn't work that game. Wow. If you had a sniffle and you tested negative, you still couldn't work the game. So there were times where we'd lose multiple camera people. <laughs> you know, wow. like suddenly there's an outbreak. And we're, you know, our director, Drew Esikoff, who just went into the Hall of Fame, by the way, these are, I mean, these are the best of the best. He'd be scrambling for camera people. Can we fly this guy out? Can we get this guy local? Because of that. Um, you know, and it, I found it amusing. We, it, it is true. We didn't know a lot, right? But this spectacle of sideline reporters in the stands with no one around you and having to wear a mask. Yes. Okay. And, uh, and meanwhile, on the field below you are 22 guys on a gridiron inches from each other, spitting, sweating, and breathing all over each other, not wearing masks, right? <laughs> but then even in the post game, you know, Patrick Mahomes or whoever has to come over to a microphone that is a distance from me, wearing a mask, each of us wearing a mask, talking about the game that just happened. <sighs> it, and I remember saying, asking the NFL in one of our conference calls, the optics of this are fairly obvious to our audience, I think. Doesn't this kind of look silly? And there was this sort of pause, and then there was this explanation of, well, the science suggests that if you're in proximity to one another for less than 15 minutes, you could transmit. It was like, oh, my gosh. We were all dead tired of the masks. There were times where they started really dividing us up in cars. We couldn't even drive in the same cars anymore. And the driver would have to be behind saran wrap or some sort of plastic division between whoever he was driving and us, it was, it was crazy. It was, but the whole world was crazy, yeah, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but I, I'm, I'm able to laugh at it a little bit now, but it's just, it's also just infuriating, but the, the madness of it, the, 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 like you said, the word spectacle, it just yeah. really was a spectacle. And there was a lot of theater being played out, Mickey. There absolutely. was a lot of theater. Yeah. It's, and, and the, the, talking about the athletes i mean they you talk like people might compete in competitive wrestling i mean they're literally grinding their bodies yeah. all over each other <laughs> and then if they if they were going to get interviewed by local tv and uh, that like then put the masks on stay six yeah. feet away and it's it's you would just imagine that i i have to imagine that way more people than we even think understood how much theater was going on. And, and uh, I hope so. Yeah. I hope they understood. And I think it's true. And I think you're seeing a lot of people now having the courage to say, this is nonsense. This is BS. Yes. Don't ever put a mask on me again. And yet at the same time, right now, as we're going through this little bit of flu and COVID and whatever going around, just traveling the last couple three weeks, I've seen more masks on airplanes than I saw in the previous, say, six months. So people are being careful. And that's your prerogative, right? I'm not going to criticize anyone for wearing a mask. But I do think, like, when I see people wearing cloth masks, yeah. which have been proven not to work, I want to say, you know, that doesn't work, right? I, but, I, you know, I, yeah. I don't care. I mean, let them do what makes them feel right. And that's up to each person. Yeah, I, it's tempting. I mean, I'm in New York City, so I, I see a lot of masks. Yeah, I guess you and, do. Yeah. 
Um, all right, so I'm going to begin wrapping up, and I'm going to – you started with me by reading off my Wikipedia page, which, as we both had a laugh, because it's it's – completely so unreliable wikipedia <laughs> I, I wrote about it last year at some point too as to how it came up and who funds it and and it, it kind of presents itself as this like diy encyclopedia begging for everyday people to fund it and then when you see when when you when you just you could just type wikipedia funders into a search engine and you say oh okay now we see who funds yeah. it but uh -oh, i found geez. this gem from you that in 2006 you were ranked as one of the most likable TV sports personality and you were voted the biggest trend setter. That is, I think they didn't know who they were talking about. That's all I can think about is they didn't know they didn't because not that many people knew who I was in 2006. And I don't know, that one baffles me to this well, day. When I read that, I said, this is how I'm going to end then because I'm going to say, Michelle Tafoya as the biggest trendsetter. May this never be truer than it is now. Like may you <laughs> may you set the trend of introspection, independence, integrity, and may more people follow your lead and question where they are and what else they could be doing to speak their mind and to challenge tyranny in all its guises. So yeah. as we wrap up from your position where you are now, what type of advice do you have for the people listening who are like understandably nervous about speaking up or maybe cynical saying it's not going to make a distance difference. They're worried about losing friends or maybe even putting their careers at risk. How can, from your perspective, how can individuals in 2023 live more by their values? Yeah, it, that's what it is. That's what life is all about is your values. Define your values. I would say we all value many things. Try to narrow it down to your five most important values. I've done this exercise and for me, they are family, integrity, security, health, and happiness. Those are my five values that I try to stay in those lanes with every decision that I make. Integrity obviously is a big one there and that encompasses a lot of things. One of them is courage. If, if you allow your mind to be affected by others, you are giving away one of your most valuable assets and that's your power. You, and I don't mean that like, you know, power to the people. I'm just talking about yeah. power over your thinking, power over your mind, power over your emotions. Why would you give that up to anyone but you? You, your mind is the one thing, no matter what, if you get cancer, you can still control your mind. If you break your leg, you can still control your mind. If you lose a friend, you can still control your mind. If there's a blizzard outside, you can still control your mind. My point is, there are a lot of things in life you can't control. But the one that you can is your mind and how you decide to look at things. And I would also suggest that you seek happiness because there are a lot of depressed people in the world. And I think it's because they've bought into all this fear and victimhood and feeling like there are two classes of people, the oppressed and the oppressor. I, I just, I'm sorry. I don't buy into that narrative. And I think, and you know, I think, look, some of the happiest people I know are religious people. I'm not super religious, but I'm intrigued by the happiness that they find mm -hmm. there in their faith. And I just, Again, if you can't change your circumstances, change your mind. Try to find something positive in your presence, in your existence, 
that helps you move just a little bit more forward. Um, and, and, you know, courage without it, without that, I, I dread to think of what will happen to all of us collectively. And so I, I think that's the best advice I can give off the top of my head. Well, a- amen to that. Amen. Thank you, Michelle. It's been a, a genuine joy. Like I just, it's a lot of fun talking to you. We've done it now oh, twice in a two week period. And, and I feel so grateful that we got introduced and got to have these conversations. And I feel, I very, very, very much hope that we continue having them on each other's shows. And I and, do too. Yeah. This has just been so much fun and so enlightening and so inspiring. So thank you for, you know, working with me. Thank you for what you do and thank you for all you're going to do. I promise you, you will be back on Sideline Sanity and we will continue this conversation. Thank you so much. And the invitation goes out to you at the same way for Postwoke. Home and home. (laughs) Thank you, Michelle. Thank you, Mickey. I'll be back with some closing thoughts after one more word from our sponsor. Hey, Mickey Z again. I trust you're enjoying this episode. And if so, I would really, really appreciate it if you would become a paid subscriber for just $5 a month, less than 17 cents a day. You can support this Substack and this podcast. Your help is essential and it's crucial. And it's you who keeps this project going and growing. So thank you for listening. Thank you in advance for becoming a paid subscriber. And please spread the word. And while you're at it, please check the show notes for a link to a really kick-ass post-woke t-shirt. The sales have been going up. People are out there showing off what their favorite podcast is. And now it's time for you to join the team. So once again, thank you in advance. And let's get back to the show. I just want to say Happy New Year to all my listeners. I deeply appreciate your support, and I hope that you'll be sharing the link and spreading the word. And I'm going to end by combining Michelle Tafoya's standard podcast closer with my standard podcast closer by saying, be brave, do good, and keep your guard up.